praise offering of with our hands this morning. Amen. We're going to try this one time. I'm going to say he is risen and you're going to reply he is risen indeed. Okay? With all of your might. So here we go. He is risen. Amen. Would you rise to your feet as we begin our time of worship together this Resurrection Sunday. Christ the Lord is risen church family. We're so excited that you're here today, and um, what a privilege and a blessing to be able to begin this worship service with the ordinance of baptism. I've got great news for you today. I'm about to baptize seven people, seven new believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 
I would like to give a special welcome, bienvenidos, to all of our Hispanic family. We love you, and you're going to see all seven of these are from our Hispanic fellowship. And so what a joy today to be able to celebrate. Let's give God a hand for that again, right? Amen. Amen. We're going to start off with Scarlett Martinez. Church family, this sweet young lady is Scarlett Martinez. Her parents are Ram and Laura Martinez. Scarlett, I want you to look out at the church today based on your decision to follow Christ and tell them really loud what you believe about Jesus. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Amen, amen. Based on that profession of faith, Scarlett, as your big brother in Christ and your pastor, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Now we have Scarlett's big brother, Rye. This is Rye Martinez. Rye, you've also given your life to Jesus Christ. Look out at your church family and tell them what you believe about Jesus today. He is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Based upon that profession of your faith, Rye, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now we continue with the Martinez family. This is Annabella Martinez. This is Ryan Scarlett's cousin. Um, Annabella, you're in the fourth grade. Is that what you told me? Wonderful. Tell the whole church family what you believe about Jesus Christ today. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Based on that statement today, Annabella, so proud of you. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we have one more child today. This is Mateo Gomez. Mateo, hop in here. Step up for me. Good job. All right, this is Mateo Gomez. Mateo, you've given your life to Jesus. Tell your church family what you believe today. That Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen, amen. Based on that statement of your faith, Mateo, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. And folks, it gets even better. Now we have the entire Alvarado family coming into the baptistry with me. What a joy to welcome an entire family. This is Robert, Maria, and Kaylin Alvarado. And it's always a great joy when a father and a husband leads his family to follow and serve Jesus Christ. So, Robert, we're extremely happy and proud of you and for you. Tell your church family what you believe today. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Based on your statement of faith, Robert, it's my privilege as your brother in Christ to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Amen, brother. Let me slide right here. All right, Maria. I know, ladies and gentlemen, Maria was very nervous behind the scenes. But I told her it was going to be good, that we were going to take care of her. Maria, can you tell us what you believe about Jesus? Amen. Maria, we're so thankful for you. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Now, this is Kaylin. Kaylin is a sophomore um, out at Blooming Grove. And Kaylin, I'm going to let you make your statement of faith. Tell the church what you believe today. Jesus is my, is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Based on your profession of faith, Kaylin, I baptize you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church family, give me a celebration today for seven new believers. Amen. Now, I have got to ask, I see a little water on this ledge. Did anybody get wet? Now, I told all of these candidates that we as Baptists don't believe in sprinkling, but obviously we do. All right. What a joy to welcome you on this Easter morning. I know Steve has already said this, but I want to add my words. Uh, there is nothing like the celebration of the resurrection. We began this morning with a sunrise service out at Lake Halbert. We had 140 people show up at 7 a.m. And so you know it's a big deal to celebrate the resurrection of Christ when those type of things happen. Um, all across the centuries... The leader of worship has stood on this resurrection morning, as Steve has already done with you, and the leader says he is risen, and all the people say he is risen indeed. Now, I love to tell this story every year. We always get a kick out of it, and I have to tell it again, that years ago at First Baptist McGregor, where I used to serve, there was a gentleman who owned the local grocery store, and I walked in that day, and I said, he is risen, and he said, yup. And I thought in Texas that worked, but then it, it got beat by my good friend, our organist, Miss Cindy McCary. My first Easter here, I said, he is risen. And she said, you betcha. <laughs> and so, so every single year, uh, we have fun with that. So let's do it again. He is risen. To God be the glory. Our choir is going to come and lead us now. Um, thank you for being in worship today.
To God be the glory for our choir, and we appreciate them so very much and the dedication that they show to worship and to lead us to God's throne. It is my privilege at this time to prepare us to participate in what we call the Living Cross. Uh, when you arrived today, you were asked to bring a fresh-cut, long stem flower. If you had forgotten to bring that, um, hopefully you were given one when you came in. And the reason you were given that is for this special time of worship. You see that we have the two crosses in front of us, and today, on this day of resurrection, we do not forget exactly what led us to this point. And that's that Jesus was crucified on a savage, cruel Roman cross. The interesting thing of this day is now that cross, which was an instrument of death, now we know that through that cross, it leads us to life. And so no longer will we, will we allow that cross to be empty and, and, and devoid of life, but we're going to cover it in the beauty of flowers today, symbolizing the life that Jesus brings us, the life that Jesus gives to us. And so here's some of the logistical instructions for you. If you're in these two sections, you'll be moving to this cross. We'll start with our first row. You'll get up and lead the way. And you'll make your way to the cross. This section, you'll circle back and enter back into your pews on this side. If you're in this section, you'll circle around and enter back into your pews from the outside. Same thing here. You're moving to this cross, enter into this aisle, circle around, enter into this aisle, and circle back around. We want everybody to have the privilege of participating for you in the balcony. Uh, you can choose either side, okay? It does not matter. Um, come down the stairs, enter into the line. I'm sure somebody will allow you in, and um, we don't want there to be a traffic jam. But we want this to be a wonderful time of worship. We'll be singing as those place their flowers in the cross. You watch as they do that. Worship with us and sing. It's now time for us to begin. If the first pews would please rise. If you're in the first at front of your section, please rise. Enter into that middle aisle. Let's sing and worship together with a living cross.
needed, our youth pastor, Brother Tim Hyde, is going to come now and share a powerful song with us uh, entitled, Watch the Land.
touched him as he fell. The cross came down upon his back. of time until I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine my children stood there weeping and I heard the oldest say Father please forgive us the lamb ran away And all God's people said today, amen. Tim, thank you so very much. And once again, to all of you, thank you for being in worship. Uh, you saw the screen go up. If you're one of our parents who wants to get your child into kids' worship or kids' praise, you can walk out with them now and make sure that they are signed in by you as a parent, and um, we'll get them taken care of. And then you can pick them up on the fourth floor um, after the worship service is over. 
Well, friends and family, thank you for being in church today. I don't know if you saw or not, but everybody and their dog has come to church today. And um, and I'm so happy about that this morning. Where is our service dog that's in the house? Let me ask you a quick question. Can you make your dog bark on command? You can't? I'm asking you that because I had a church member say, Pastor Danny, if you can get that dog to bark when we all say amen, I'll give the church a hundred bucks. So I was so hoping that you could get that dog to bark because I was going to make him back it up. No chance? No chance? Anybody else want to bark? There you go. All right. Done. I think that sounded like it to me. All right. Thank you for being in church today. Uh, what a joy, right, to fill these cross, these crosses with flowers. What a joy to see seven new believers baptized into the faith. We praise God for that today. Amen. Amen. This morning, I, I want to talk to you about seven words that rocked the world. Seven words that rocked the world, and these words were not spoken at the cross of Jesus Christ, but they were spoken at the empty tomb. And, and because of that, we can say today that they were spoken at a cemetery. Now, how many of you today have ever been to a cemetery? Raise your hand. All right, so a good majority of us have been to a cemetery, so we already know, right, that cemeteries can be spooky places. And so I want to start off with a story with you this morning. After a long evening at a pub, a Scotsman named Ian, he took a shortcut to his house. And it took him across this dark cemetery, and what he didn't realize is there was a grave that had been dug and left open, and Ian fell into the dug grave. It was so deep, it was so steep, he could not get out. And so Ian decided he would just sit in the corner, cover himself with his coat, right? And he would just ride out the night. Somebody would help him in the morning. Well, in the middle of the night, as Ian was sleeping, he, he was awakened by the sound of another person falling in to the exact same hole. Well, that person did not see him in the darkness of the corner. And so that guy began to try to get out also, and all of a sudden, Ian wakes up, sees what's going on, and in his Scotsman's voice, he says this, Stop your trying. You cannot get out, right? And as soon as he said that, believe it or not, that guy jumped right out of the grave, right? Now, this morning, you and I have the privilege to get to read about. Now, that story's fake, right? We just made that up. But this morning, we get to speak about the only person who ever walked out of his grave, and he's alive today. His name is Jesus Christ. I want you to grab your Bibles and stand with me today as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. I will be reading, as I always do, from the New International Version. This is the resurrection story. Let's read it together. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. You and I would have as well, right? Then the angel in verse 5 said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. Let's call a time out for just a moment. Isn't it amazing that God gave the entire resurrection story to women? Women took this story and they told the men, let me say this, if you're a woman here today, don't you ever dare let anybody say to you, you don't have a place in the church. God himself chose women to tell the men about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that, right? Now, verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. May God bless the reading of his word today. May God speak to our hearts. Amen and amen. Be seated, church. Thank you so much. Today, I want to be very simple, and I want to be straightforward. I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you first about the miracle and second, about the meaning. I want to talk to you about the miracle and then the meaning. And here's where we start, the miracle of the resurrection. Now, church, we could look in the Bible and find lots of miracles. We've talked about those in recent days, even here at First Baptist. But we can say without reservation that this is the greatest miracle that's ever happened in history. It's the heart of the Christian message. It's the bedrock of our faith. And, and, and how do we know that it even happened, though? You may be here today, you may be watching online, and you say, Hey, all you Christians gather and you talk about this resurrection of a man from the dead, but how do you know that it happened? I want to give you two sources that confirm its truth. The first one is this, that it was communicated by the angel. You see, angels came and announced the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem to those shepherds in the fields. And so God did the same thing at the resurrection. He sent them to announce the resurrection of Jesus. When the women arrived, the angel of the Lord was sitting on this huge stone. He made this impressive announcement. And the words that he spoke, those are the seven words that rocked the world. Do you want to know what they are? He is not here he has risen. He is not here. He has risen. Turn to your neighbor right now, whomever it is, and tell them the seven words that rock the world. Say it right now. Now, folks, you just told your neighbor the greatest news in history. Did you realize that? We just proclaimed it right here in our sanctuary. He is not here he has risen. 
Let me take you to Jerusalem. There are people in the room today, you've been where I'm about to talk about. You see, when we take groups to the Holy Land, we always take them to this beautiful spot outside the walls of Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb. And there's this rock-faced cliff there that sometimes as the rocks fall away, it looks like a skull, and it still looks like that today. They call that place Golgotha. And right next door to Golgotha, archaeologists have discovered an empty tomb. It was a very expensive tomb. How do we know that? Because it had places for several bodies. It was the tomb of a wealthy man. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man. Scripture also tells us it was a new tomb, never been used before. You see, in ancient times, a person would be placed in a tomb, their body would decay, they would gather the bones and put them in an ossuary, that's a box, a bone box, and store it away. But archaeologists went into this tomb. They took microscopic samples from the soil of the tomb, and they found no microscopic trace of human remains. So if it were Jesus' tomb, guess what? He was the first and the last to use it. The angel invited the women to come and see the place where he lay. Now that's my invitation to you. I want to invite you to do the same thing. I want to invite you to investigate this empty tomb of Jesus. And you'll see one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is the fact that nobody, let me underline it, no one has ever produced the bones or the corpse of Jesus. If you're a skeptic, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, hear me, you have to come up with an answer to the question, what happened to the body of Jesus Christ? The angel, I submit to you today, told you the truth. He is not here. He has risen. You see, it falls away. Let me give you another proof. Not only was it confirmed and communicated by the angel... It was also confirmed by eyewitnesses. Now, in our court of law, what does it take to know something's true? You need eyewitnesses, right? And the Bible tells us that after his resurrection, Jesus suddenly appeared to his disciples. He didn't walk through a door. No, he just appeared behind closed doors. And he invited those disciples to feel his hands and his feet where the nails had been. He even invited Thomas, who's called what? Say it out loud. Doubting Thomas, right? They, he invited Doubting Thomas to put his hands in the wound of his side. Now, Wednesday night, we talked at length about the physiological nature of crucifixion. And it was hard to hear because crucifixion was excruciating and savage. These disciples had seen Jesus die that way. So can you imagine their joy... When they see this man who was murdered in front of them, now standing before them alive. I mean, no wonder Thomas fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. But folks, he didn't just make one or two appearances. The Bible tells us that he was on earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And it tells us during that time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read it. Here's what, here's what Paul wrote. He said, Jesus appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the 12, that's 13. And after that, he appeared to 500 of the brothers at the same time. That's at least 513 people who saw Jesus. Friend, you can trust the resurrection. Not one eyewitness, 
eyewitness, not two eyewitnesses, but 513 plus saw Jesus with their own eyes alive again. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Now, there's some people who don't. They're skeptics, right? And they've raised these theories to try to explain away the resurrection of Christ. And the first one we read about today, they claim the disciples stole his body. Now, let me just say this to you plain. Do you know how much sense that makes? Zero. It makes zero sense. Why would anybody say that? I mean, if the disciples were dishonest enough to steal the body and make up the lie, surely they had something to gain, right? What did they gain? Let me tell you what they gained. They gained torture. They gained beatings. They gained being crucified upside down. Because they never relented in Christ's resurrection story, some of them were even beheaded. You see, when faced with torture and death, don't you think at least one of those 513 plus people would have changed their mind and said, Hey, 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 we made the whole thing up. But they didn't do that. They never did it. They went to their deaths claiming that they had seen the resurrected Lord alive again. Let me tell you this. Chuck Colson was one of the most respected authors in the Christian circle. But if you don't remember the name, you may, you need to know this. Colson, before he became a Christian, was known for a famous lie to cover up the Watergate scandal back during the presidency of Richard Nixon, right? He lied to his investigators about being a part of it. Now, if anybody's qualified to comment on lying to cover the truth, it's Chuck Colson. But here's what he wrote about the disciples. Listen to this. He said, if six Harvard and Yale educated men could could not stand a mob of media scrutiny to protect the most powerful man on the earth, the president, he said, how unlikely... Is it that 11 uneducated fishermen could withstand torture, imprisonment, and death to cover a host concerning this obscure Jewish rabbi? He said, as incredible as the resurrection may seem, a cover-up of the resurrection, it's even more incredible. Folks, that theory falls away. It is bogus, it is wrong, and it's easy to prove it wrong. Let me give you the second theory that people try to use. Second, they use something called the swoon theory. Now, I'm not going to laugh out loud, but I could, because this is how crazy this is. The swoon theory claims this, that Jesus didn't really die. He merely went unconscious, and once they laid him in that nice, soft, cool tomb, right, that he revived pushed a big stone out of the way after he'd been beaten within an inch of his life and crucified, and he escaped. And my only response to that is to quote to you Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I love this. Now, McGee was a famous Bible teacher, and one day on his radio program, a lady wrote him a letter. Here's what she said. Our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross, and the disciples nursed him back to health. Dr. McGee, she wrote, What do you think? Here's what Dr. McGee said. He said, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip. Nail your preacher to a cross. 
hang your preacher in the sun for six hours, run a spear right up through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, and then let's see what happens, right? The angel told us the truth, folks. He is not here. He has risen. Folks, the disciples went to their grave affirming that they had seen Jesus alive and in the flesh. Friend, it was a miracle. Amen? That's the miracle. What's the meaning? This day is huge. And if you're here and you don't know the meaning of what all this means for you personally, then now this is your moment. I want you to listen Because Jesus changed my life. There's many of us in this room today and around the world. Jesus Christ has changed our life. And if you know the meaning and you accept it and receive it, guess what? Jesus can change your life too. Here it is. What what does it mean to you? First, Jesus is more than a man. He is more than a man. Some people say, and I've read stuff like this, if there had been no resurrection, Jesus would still be remembered as a great teacher. And, 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 I, and I call their bluff. That's, that's phony. There's no way. If there had been no resurrection, we would never even have heard of Jesus. His influence would have been buried with him in that tomb. You see, all the major religions of the world, except for Christianity, their leader died and is dead. Buddhists teach Buddha died at the age of 80. He was cremated in India around 480 B.C., Abraham, considered the father of Judaism, you can visit his tomb in Hebron. Muhammad died on June 8, 632 at the age of 63. He was buried in Medina. Millions of Muslims visit his grave every single year. So say it with me. Buddha died and he's... Muhammad died and he's... Confucius died and he's... Abraham died and he's... Jesus died and he's... Alive, right? He's alive. He's the only one who predicted he would die and then rise again. And guess what? He did it. C.S. Lewis nailed it. He said, you can't simply call Jesus a good man. He was either a lunatic, he was a liar, or he's Lord. Friend, today I submit to you, Jesus is Lord. He's more than a man. That changes your life. Second, here's what it means to you. You can be forgiven. Now I'm going to pause and let silence envelop us and soak that in. You can be forgiven of your sin. There's no bigger impact on a person. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine to get to heaven, you have to take one single leap. This is the only way. You can only take one single leap from here to California. Now, how many people can do that? I mean, if if I did a standing broad jump right here, I probably could get off the steps. I'd crash and burn when I landed, but I could do that. Some of you kids, you could leap off of here and you might get to the front pew. Do you know that the Olympic long jumper, 28 feet, they could get from me to the fourth pew. That's insanity, isn't it? That's how far they could jump. But let me ask you, is that California? 
You see, nobody can get to heaven on their own. The good news, though, is this. You see, that's all bad news. We can't do it. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to become the bridge to span the gap that we can't jump across. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, believing in the resurrection is key to obtaining forgiveness. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The only way you can have your sins forgiven is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection does impact you. It does change your life. Jesus was more than a man. You can be forgiven. Let me give you a third thing. You don't have to fear death. How many of us in this room want to die? See, I didn't think there'd be any hands. Oh, I want to today, right? We don't even like to talk about death. We're the only creatures, right, who know we're going to die, and then we always try to pretend that we're not going to. We try to forget about it. Bertrand Russell was a 20th century philosopher. He was an atheist, meaning he did not believe there was a God. And as he approached his own death in 1970, listen to these words. Here's what he wrote. And I want you to compare this to what Jesus said. Here's Bertrand Russell. He said, The life of man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long. One by one as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death. You want to hang around that guy? Now compare that to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will live even though they die. Now I'd rather hang out with Jesus, wouldn't you? We don't have to fear death. I heard a story about a mom. She took her kids to a park one day, right? It was a beautiful spring day, older son, younger daughter, and suddenly this bumblebee flies up. It lands on her son's arm and stings him. Anybody like to be stung by a bumblebee? No, right? So he's bawling and crying, and she takes a cool wrap and wraps it around it. But then the bee comes buzzing around again, and the little girl starts crying. The boy's now toughened up, and he's got it together, but now the daughter is falling apart. And the mom leans into her daughter and says, sweetheart, settle down. Don't worry. Do you see that little black stinger in your brother's arm? And she pointed to it. A bee can only sting once because he leaves a stinger behind. That old bee can buzz you and bother you, but he can't sting you because your brother already took the stinger. Friend, that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. He took the sting of death so we don't have to. Death can buzz you, it can bother you, but praise God, death cannot sting you anymore. We don't have to fear death if we know Jesus Christ. Today, I want to close with a poem. You'll find a complete copy of it out on the landing if you want to grab it. I'm going to tell you part of it today. It was told by a man named Elwood McQuaid. Um, it's a beautiful poem, and here's how it goes. Jesus has just, caught, has just, has just died, giving you the context. And, and right before, right, he's taken down from the cross, 
Father Time enters into a conversation with King Death. Father Time is talking to King Death. Here's how it goes. Father Time met pale King Death sitting by a tomb. Hello, old friend, I guess you're here to seal somebody's doom. You might say that, replied Death, as a smile slid up his face. Inside reposes that Jesus man who said he'd save the race. Time said, why are you guarding just one grave with all your vast domain? Seems like you'd be out rambling around and smiting folks with pain. Death said, well, this one's something special. He challenged me, they say. Said he'd rest here just three days, then stir and walk away. Now, I'm the conqueror, you know. They don't talk up to me. When I step in to cut them down, it's for eternity. And that's how the poem begins. And so I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. It's really long. But on day, on the, on the next few days, time goes by and death is still sitting there all confident and smug. But now I pick it up on the third morning. Next day, time was quite surprised to see death quivering on the ground in frightful agony. His eyes were set. His throat was marked. His clothes in disarray. It wasn't difficult to see that death had had his day. What happened, Death, said Father Time. What makes you look so bad? I've never seen you shake this way or look so scared and sad. Death pulled himself up on a rock, looking sick and humble, hung his head and wrung his hands, and Time could hear him mumble. I was sitting here before the dawn, about to take my stroll, when all at once this whole wide world began to reel and roll. That great big stone jumped off the door and skipped on down the hill. Then everything grew dark and quiet, seemed like the earth stood still. I saw him standing in the door. He didn't move or speak, just looked at me, and all at once I felt so tired and weak. He came and got a hold of me and threw me to the ground. He put his foot here on my neck, and he took my keys and crown. Two angels came to talk with him. They glistened like the sun. Jesus said, the plan's all finished. Redemption's work is done. Time and death met once again, off yonder by the gate. How are you, death? asked Father Time. I've wondered about your fate. Death said, I'm just a servant now. There's little nothing to do but roam. I just open up this old gate, and now I just help the saints go home. Friends, the world was changed forever. When Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb, never forget, for all the world and for you personally, seven words that rock the world, saying with me, He is not here.